Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiology and nutrition professor of about a dozen years, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. And this is John Mike here. I'm finishing up my PhD in exercise phys. I'm a team member and columnist for EliteFTS.com. I write for major fitness and bodybuilding magazines, and I love to consume lots of food. Nice segue. Yeah. Hey, we're going to do an episode on Big Eats today, everybody. It's just John and myself, uh, Fortress and Phil. Phil's at a meet, I believe, and Fortress is a working man, so we're going to deliver the goods. Uh, before we do, though, let's talk a little bit about some mail uh, that I got. It's just some fun stuff. Strength and Muscle Sport News. Dr. Campbell was on the show talking about dietary supplements and his love of training, and he's even talking about competing again in bodybuilding, and I thought that was fun. But he just contacted me. He said, hey, uh, I just got a call from a guy at my church. He listened to the podcast uh, with me in it, and he said he listens to all of your podcasts, uh, Iron Radio podcasts. He says, now that I was on your show, he thinks I'm a big shot. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for the opportunity to do the podcast with you and John. It was a great time. Love to do it again. So we will probably have uh, Dr. Campbell back on. He's a wealth of information, and he's very much in that sort of iron radio mindset, you know, in that he actually competes himself, and he's fascinated with how to make, make it better for everybody with his research, you know. Here's another one from Nick. Nick had an interesting question, and John and I have a little bit of background in this, but let's see. Dr. Lowry, I just wanted to start off by thanking you guys for the great information you uh, are putting out. I've been listening for the past few years, and I look forward to the podcast every week. Uh, With over 20 years of training under my belt, I've seen most of the fads and farces in the fitness world, uh, and I appreciate the common sense and scientific grounding that you guys champion. All that said, I have a few questions regarding training in cold weather. Well, this is season appropriate for sure. I live in Colorado, and I compete as an amateur strongman. I'm lucky enough to have a full weight room and strongman equipment in my unheated shop. Even though we get some mild days, uh, I'm still training at 30 degrees or colder for the majority of the cold winter. Uh, I generally still get all my training in despite the cold, but uh, I made a few observations, and I wonder what science has to say. For instance, I've noticed that uh, more of my CNS-dependent lifts – so like presses, for example, tend to suffer. Uh, I often complain to my wife that there's heavy and then there's heavy at 15 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, are there any studies indicating the impact of ambient temperature on strength? Also, I found that my conditioning work can be hellish when the temperature drops below 20. To be specific, I'm using strongman medleys uh, and barbell complexes for my conditioning sessions. I'd estimate that my performance in this case uh, in the case of the density of my conditioning sessions, drops by 30 to 40% when the temperature dips below 20. Wow. Does this jive with any studies uh, on the effects of cold temperature on cardiovascular and high-intensity interval training? I do make some adjustments to my training sessions, longer warm-ups, that sort of thing. Are there any adjustments I should be making outside of installing a furnace? <laughs> Thank, thanks again for all you guys do in this for the strength community, and thanks for your time in reading this email. Also, you know, I wish you guys Merry Christmas. So thanks, Nick, for that. Yeah, thank you. I'll tell you, there are professors who specialize in environmental phys. Uh, I am not one of them, but I do know a couple. And I know John has some experience with, you know, these these environmental physiologists. They're exercise phys guys and gals. um, And they they stick people in cold water, in freezing rooms. Uh, In fact, I know two of them uh, pretty well. And they're always doing stuff. I mean, these guys, they look at sometimes like do thermogenic supplements, stoke your furnace enough to make you warm, you know, um, because they do raise metabolic rate, you know, and all that sort of thing. Now, as far as cold weather 
John and I, uh, we were just chatting about this before we hit the record button, but I can tell you, you it does uh, increase and slightly alter substrate use, like in yeah, a muscle. It's going right? to shift you more to carbohydrate metabolism. Yeah. There's shivering and non-shivering thermogenesis, right? Because human beings are going to hold 37 degrees Celsius. Right. Gosh, I can barely remember the Fahrenheit. 98.6 Fahrenheit. And so, you know, your body will stoke your furnace. So you tend to burn more calories when it's cold. So that might be part of the explanation in that you're burning through a lot more calories because your your body has to work, has to burn fuel to both maintain its temperature, right? Because we're homeotherms and to produce the mechanical work. You know, I, I saw a thing on Discovery Channel uh, a couple of years ago. These guys were hiking across the frozen uh, Great Lakes, I think, and they were eating like four to 6,000 calories a day, and they, I think they lost 30 pounds over yeah. the course of this because it was so cold and they were hiking in full gear. You know, normally people don't get a lot of that sort of hypermetabolism effect because they bundle so much, but uh, I wish I had more specific info. I will tell you this. I, I found an interesting paper, and again, I didn't have time to really look that much, Nick, so I, I'm sorry for that, but this is from the International Journal of Sports and Physi Physiology Performance uh, resistance exercise interset cooling strategy, the effect on performance and muscle damage. So I don't know if you're aware, but there was sort of a buzz. In fact, I first heard about it at an ASEP meeting where they were icing muscle bellies um, between explosive exercise, and they're trying to purposely change the substrate use, you know, the fuel use that we are just discussing. But um, this one's also about performance and muscle damage. It says they wanted to compare the effects of interset cooling or no cooling on total repetitions uh, and select muscle damage markers. They took 16 healthy guys uh, and they put them either in the cooling group or the control group. They did the resistance uh, training protocol. Um, again, this isn't necessarily squats. Sometimes they, they need a, something strict to do the controls and, you know, the, to delimit the, the study. But it says it consisted of four sets of biceps curls with 80% one rep max. The cooling group received the application of wet bags of ice uh, during each inter-set rest, you know, interval. Uh, and the control group didn't get any ice. So exercise was performed to voluntary fatigue, and then they recorded the number of reps. The bottom line results, the cooling group produced a greater number of reps, about 21% more uh, than the control. But it says there were no differences in serum uh, creatine kinase activity or myoglobin response, so no damage markers um, changed but um intercept cooling you know with those with that ice again that's direct application to a muscle but 21 percent more reps that's sort of amazing uh so anyway that's getting some attention i heard that there were some football the guys are trying to you know ice the muscle belly not necessarily the joint you know because i think you're playing with fire here but a lot of this has to do with maybe the you know when you're hot or you're doing higher reps or like i said not so much the joint and the tendon you don't want someone to you know, be so cold, they're stiff, the muscle belly kind of thing. And they were trying to get like other running backs to produce more explosive sprints and that sort of thing. So uh, that's from Galoza and colleagues. IJSPP is the journal, December 2011, if anybody wants to look. But resistance exercise interset cooling. So now, based on the listener, you know, well, that's sort of the opposite. But again, that's. It's the, temp the effect of temperature itself, I think, is interesting. It's just that, um, I don't know, that's a very specific application of it. So I would have to check in. But if you if you wanted to do a search in the National Library of Medicine on PubMed or something like that, you might be able to find something from those environmental f physiologists. I don't know. What do you think, John? Do you have any input for uh, for Nick? Okay, so my thoughts on exercise and the cold, you know, I've actually experienced this. I, I've... You know, I live in Albuquerque, and it gets it gets fairly cold, like in the winter. But I've I've trained in twenty degree weather, um, with in high wind outside doing strongman. So I know exactly what this guy is talking about. You know, back to what you were saying, Lonnie, about you know that study. We actually had uh, a similar study here at UNM uh, several years ago, where um, the guy uh, had resistance trained men. They did a control, non control group, and they looked at the effects of bench press performance on hand cooling um and i believe those in the bench press group that actually cooled their hands saw a decrease in performance so it, you know whether you see an increase or decrease in performance obviously depends on 
you know, your study design and protocol. But, you know, typically during the cold weather, you're going to shift, um, you know, calories to more, you know, carbohydrate types of metabolism. Um, and typically when you think about it, you know, when you're, when you're cold, even if you're not exercising, you know, your hands and feet are going to be the coldest, right? Because your body's trying to maintain, you know, uh, inner, inner core, you know, temperature around the, you know, lungs and, you know, heart and things like that. So, um, I, I would even suggest a guy, and I don't know what he's consuming in terms of calories, uh, which we'll talk about here, you know, shortly in terms of, you know, muscle mass and energy. But um, I would certainly look at the amount of calories that you are consuming. I would actually also spend maybe a little bit more time, you know, maybe wearing extra clothes or, or, or more um, insulin or uh, insulatory types of layers of clothing and, um, Maybe do some extra warm-up stuff. Yeah, he did mention extra warm-up. He sounds experienced. Nick sounds like an experienced guy. Uh, I think, yeah, stoking the furnace might be good. And, you know, I brought up the idea of thermogenics, too. Uh, Most of those are stimulant in nature. but And you know what? It's funny how the research almost seems to contradict uh, itself. Like, you were just talking about hands, and I was saying, you know, not – so you don't want cold hands. You don't want cold joints. But maybe cold muscle belly can actually help with some, at least the higher rep stuff. So I'm not really sure what the practical application of that is. You know what I mean? Like hold on to like, you know, get hot water bottles or something that's warm, you know, and grip it so your hands don't get cold or or make sure your elbows are warm and that kind of thing for your presses. Um, But then don't worry about your muscle bellies in that cold weather because that's. If anything, the cold would help them. So it almost looks like anatomically selective, <laughs> you right. know. Anyway, yeah, I don't know. I once uh, I was talking to John Berardi, and John said there was a hole in the roof of his gym, and snow was coming in, and they're just lifting in the snow. You know, <laughs> it's just it's just funny. Some of these really you know hardcore kinds of gyms, and yeah. Anyway, um, so I don't know. Uh, I'd have to look more into that, Nick. But I would suggest if you just did. A, a search on PubMed, you know, Google the word PubMed and then go to the National Library of Medicine and poke around cold weather resistance exercise, you know, and if, even if you're not scientifically savvy, you can go to the bottom of the paragraph of those abstracts and they'll say, so this study means, you know, and so I think reasonably in, intellectual people can just make some sense out of that too, you know, so. Absolutely. Okay. Well, that's uh, what we've got from uh, listener mail. Uh, a little bit of science in there. It really wasn't so much news in that it was a little bit of an older paper. But um, let's go ahead and go to break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about big eats. So we're going to share some tales of you know eating extra large, so to speak. We're going to favorite high-calorie foods, high-protein, high-carb, high-fat. But rather than just create a list, we're going to tell some, uh, some tales. So we'll be back. Hi, this is Dr. Lowry with an update on the protein book that you hear about in the ad at the end of the show. Uh, If you simply Google CRC Press in protein, uh, there's a new development. On the right side of the page, you can see ebook, and there's a purchase slash rent option. And the cool thing here is if you check that out now, because they have an agreement with Vital Book, uh, you can actually download the ebook for sixty nine US dollars. So that's thirty one percent off the ninety nine ninety five uh, cover price. So that's pretty fantastic. Sixty nine dollars. I think that's going to drop it into the affordable range for a lot of people. And you can even rent it uh, lower down the page. They have one hundred and eighty day rentals and one year rentals, so you can access the book in electronic format and get some of this juicy information. So thanks. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, you can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, it's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So, Uh, Whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, 
uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. I can't stop feeling Some of us don't understand How lucky we are To be living in this Hi listeners, this is Rob Fortress Fortney. I'm here to remind you that as the holiday season approaches and your thoughts turn to giving, we like you to keep Iron Rating in your thoughts. Every week for four years now, it's been our privilege to bring you weekly news, experts, and gym talk. Did you know that now roughly 20,000 brothers and sisters of Iron count on us for these things? Of course, not everyone can afford to be a supporting member or a significant one-time donor. But for those of you willing to pitch in, $4 per month or $50 just once, we're about to sweeten the deal. Become a supporting member or major donor, and a limited number of you will receive a gift worth over $20. And we will never forget our existing supporters. Simply email me via ironradio.org, and I'll send you a free seminar from Dr. Lowry on how to significantly and realistically boost your testosterone levels. Help your iron brothers and sisters who cannot pitch in but deserve better internet programming in our sports. And happy holidays. fix of iron radio in addition to being a popular institute on itunes we are also on email simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email you'll get a once per week email no more that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio so go for it Okay, Iron Raider listeners, we are back from break. Today's topic is Big Eats. I mean, Lonnie, you and I, I mean, I know you got some stories. I got a few stories, too. So, you know, we're talking about high-calorie meals, high-proteins, high-carbs, high-fats, just just big meals in general. Yeah, uh, part of the the impetus for this was I've had a couple of uh, students and young guys uh, at the gym, and they've been asking a few things. Now, I tend to be very quiet at the gym, so I don't really – get a ton of uh, questions at bodybuilders gym where I train, but there have been some young guys outside of my usual training. Uh, and it's also because I'm very recl- seclusive, you know, reclusive sort of with the headphones and everything. But um, they keep asking about how do I gain weight? You know, one of them is a lineman and he's like, the coach really wants me to put on 10 pounds. I said, that's no problem, you know? Right. And I, but it's funny how a lot of young guys, they don't know how to do that. And I keep emphasizing the same thing, that there is a very strong relationship between the amount of calories you eat and protein synthesis. You know, Gail Butterfield did a lot of that work. When you eat a ton of calories, you actually don't even need as much protein. Not that protein's unimportant, it is. Um, but when you eat very low calories, your protein needs go up, you know, and that sort of thing. And I've done some really interesting work with the more calorie surplus you're in, the more protein synthesis and the more anabolic you are. Now, of course, the trade-off is it's not 100% muscle gain. And like Phil's always saying, that's where the media misleads young guys and gals, I think, is believing that, you know, pack on slabs of muscle mass and as if that doesn't come with that, you know, because it's really a home run situation probably to put on like a 70-30 muscle to fat ratio. There's going to be some fat you put on, you know, but the, the idea that we've always championed iron radio and it's only indirectly supported with the science is that if you can drive your body weight up to a new set point, it'll get comfortable up there. And even if it's more fat than you might like, you can kind of recompose later, you know, and again, a lot of that's theoretical, but you know, we've probably got about 50 years combined experience in uh, coming to that kind of observation. But so I did a behavior modification project when I was in grad school. You know, all the students are trying to, you know, stop smoking, stop biting their nails, all this stuff. And mine was, can I consistently eat over 4,500 calories a day for two months straight? That, and so I did everything I could, and the other students were like, wait, you mean eat less? I said, no, <laughs> eat more. <laughs> you know, At the time, I felt like saying, you know, look at me. I'm, 
<laughs> I'm bumpy. You know, there was an old lady in the fitness program I used to lift with there um, in a research project, and she actually asked one of the professors at the time because I was, you know, I was really into bodybuilding and I was heavily built at the time. And she said, "What's wrong with that young man?" And the professor said, "He's a bodybuilder, Mabel." And she's like, "He's all bumpy." <laughs> you know, she, it's just funny how, but the average person can't wrap their head around big eats and and large muscles. You know, and so. Uh, it was really hard for me to do that, I guess is my main point, is 4,500 calories a day. Um, it, it was so difficult. When I hear people talk about, oh, Michael Phelps, you know, the swimmer, he eats 12,000 calories a day. Now, well, either A, that's bullshit, yeah, really. or B, it's he's doing it with Big Macs or something like that because – or, you know, drinking the calories, which is a viable option. But when I tried to do that with mostly whole food, believe it or not, and I had some weight gainers and whatnot, but just to put that in perspective, here's what 4,500 calories a day looks like. I'd get up, I'd have six cups of oats, six pieces yeah. of toast, and six cups of milk. I did everything in half a dozen. At lunch, I'd have half a dozen cheese, bean, and beef burritos. That's what 4,500 calories looks like. you know. And I'm not talking about snacks and other things, but like literally half a dozen servings at a time. So that when, over, like, Was that four meals a day? I was probably eating about four. I'd have to go yeah. back and look. But that's what I remember about that level of intake, uh, which I don't have right now. People might be surprised. But with worker and that sort of thing, I actually find myself not eating enough. you know. And I've been fatigued in the afternoon, and I'm wondering, you know, gosh, I have some kind of weird chronic fatigue virus or what's going on. And then it just sort of st- struck me, hey, dummy, you're not eating. You know, yeah. like that's going to take a toll. You, like you can't just do it with coffee. You can't replace KCALs with coffee. Well, it's the same thing that other, like a lot of novice and intermediate guys make. One of the biggest mistakes is, well, I'm not gaining weight, so I'll just, I'll just, you know, get on a bunch of supplements and get my calories that way. No, supplements are something that you should be supplementing with to what you already should be doing in the first place. Yeah. Now, I think especially the heavy weight gainers have a role. Like, so let's just let's talk with that. So talk about that stuff. So high cal, some of the f- favorite stuff. Um, on my list, I'll run down and I'll tell you some stories. But heavy weight gainers are handy if you can get one that's not, you know, almost all sugar. That's yep. the risk. Because I mean, if you're going to have that kind of sugar, you might as well just have a a, a plate, big plate of brownies and wash it down with a protein shake. You know, mm-hmm. seriously, have some fun with that. Uh, now, I I get it though. When you drink calories, you're hungry again sooner. So that's what, even in clinical dietetics, we get p- patients that are mo- losing muscle mass, muscle wasting conditions. We get them drinking calories. It's not always, you know, some specialty formula with omega-3 fats and stuff. Sometimes this stuff is just corn oil and sugar, baby, because we got to make them eat. Now, I don't necessarily agree with that approach. I I think you can pump out the calories, you know, into a person and make it a little healthier. Uh, But having that in mind and that it's not just um, desserts. Uh, like I know Phil's wife, she brought us uh, like these cookie brownie combos when we were lifting out there once, you know, and I mean, that's not playing around. Sometimes you got to crash through barriers, but one of my favorites, and some of these are almost seasonal in a way, but here's a high cal meal for you. Meat pies. I love meat pies. Yeah, me too. So, so you buy, it almost has that Charles Dickens sort of, I don't know, um, old school feel to it, but you just buy a pie crust. You know, and you dump in some dinty more beef stew, you know, so to speak, and then, you know, put another the top of the pie on top the crust, and boom, you know, and I mean that is a ridiculous amount of calories. And you know what? Then you what for dessert have some pecan pie. (laughs) I think of all the pies, pies are a key lime pie is my favorite. Oh, key lime, yeah. My wife was talking about cheesecake. These are all great ideas for Uber calories so when i hear a young guy say i just i'm stuck i'm like no you're not <laughs> let me give you some fun foods you will not be stuck you know you know what Lonnie, I mean, you know this you know this as well as i do when young guys want to put on weight you know they always say well I, i'm eating so much food i'm eating so much food i remember years ago when i had a student and he wanted to put on weight and he was probably like maybe maybe 180 pounds and and i'm asking him what he eats and he's like well for breakfast i have like some eggs and some cereal and for lunch i have a couple of turkey sandwiches and then for dinner i'm having like beef stroganoff and i mean i about just died i just yeah i'm gonna say dude you need you need to go to papa john's pizza just just 
gorge. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're stuck, you, no matter how stubborn your body is, you cannot deny the laws of physics for too long. You know, like ener- also, energy yeah. goes into the system. There's more energy going in than coming out. Then you will retain mass. You yeah, know, but it's it, again, it goes back to what you were saying. You know, an optimal scenario, seventy to you know seventy thirty, you know, ratio of lean muscle to fat gain. But the problem lies in the fact that. People want to just consume, you know, five, six thousand calories on, you know, chicken and white rice and broccoli. broccoli. Yeah. You just you just can't do it. I mean, yes, you can get to twenty five hundred calories, maybe three thousand like that. But I mean, you, you got to go to the buffet, people. I mean, you, you can't screw around when you're trying to put on weight and, and expecting to not put on any body fat is just totally unrealistic. Yeah. You know what? That's a great uh, suggestion buffets like especially because i don't get enough vegetables uh i can go to a chinese buffet and there's a lot of oil on those vegetables so you're getting calories and you know getting carbs from the rice and all that stuff or but buffets are great you know i i think people who own buffets cringe when bodybuilders or powerlifters walk in because they know they're going to lose money (laughs) i used to go there all the time like when i was uh i mean training for contests and, and, and i'm going to you know next time i i, I train for a contest i mean i will go to like the, the golden corral buffet i mean i yep. would just like, I, I would be there for probably over two hours <laughs> <laughs> and you know you're so big too i bet that you know i had some friends once there was a uh, there was a little uh oriental lady and she said you've been here four hours and she's kicking yeah. them out and and again i don't want to sound you know uh, derogatory or racist in any way it was just the, the way that they were laughing about it because she got very upset because they're huge dudes everybody's training their butts off you know they're ma- massive you know muscle mass and and they're just annihilating this stuff till she chased them out because they're like well the sign says all you can eat you know yeah. um i don't know but anyway but so there are things like um really dense calorie stuff like that. In fact, you know what? If anybody can top pecan pie for the most calorie-rich food per serving, I'd love to see it. Uh, yeah. In fact, if you have good ideas for recipes, please post them on our Facebook page. Um, maybe John and I will post a couple. I, I'll try. Uh, but, you know, the other thing about calories is the portability. So I'm a big fan of, like, full-fat granola, you know, yes. or dried fruits. Now, normally people might say, well, isn't that a lot of fructose? Well, yeah, but also with a redonkulous amount of micronutrients and phytochemicals packed in, you know, prunes and dried blueberries, and you just eat them by the handful because they've taken the water weight out, the non-calorie part, and it's pure calories and nutrients. Yeah, and, uh, I've, I've actually done this. Um, you know, Lana, maybe, you, maybe you're the one that's talked about it, like uh, gym snacks and car snacks. I mean, I, w- I would actually uh, take some small bag bag of granola and just leave it in my car and just i would just snack on it when i'm driving or going to the gym or whatever it may be when i get hungry absolutely yeah the portability thing is huge especially because uh well you know you can't just let hunger be the guide you know and so and you're not going to have pecan pie when you're driving behind the wheel of the car right but you can plunge your hand down into a box of cereal or granola you know and now they've got those way uh Whey protein kinds of granola. Uh, I've been hearing a lot through the channels, uh, the food industries, you know, um, health supplement kind of industry channels, various ones, that uh, adding protein to foods is now getting popular with the general public. Yeah. So uh, that's fairly new thing. You know, I don't just mean soy, but like, you know, whey isolates, you know, added to stuff like granola and uh, – and that kind of thing, or that, like uh, on the Iron Radio store, I just threw up a link for some of those pea, pea protein, you know, pea snaps. They're like crunchy snack chips. So instead of eating potato chips, it's actually got some a little bit of fiber and some protein and stuff because it's made from peas. You know, and peas are nutritional powerhouse. Yep. So um, yeah, portability is is huge. Um, but let's go down the list. So that's general calorie kinds of foods. There's lots of good ones. And again, I'd love to hear listeners' ideas for this, but. Um, if we break that down into carb, fat, and protein, uh, carbs, you know, there's always the, the staple foods that bodybuilders always eat like oats, you know, um, in fact, we had Mike Walker on this show before, uh, and he, he came to me once and he just said, I'm desperate to put on a lot of weight, um, for the Ohio state strongman, you know, state of Ohio strongman event. Uh, and, but he didn't want to do it with greasy you know, 
yeah breakfast sandwiches like, at McDonald's. Like, that old, like dirty bulk that people still kind of. I don't. I'm not a big fan of those anyway. Yeah, some people could get away with the dirty bulks. Guys that are really thin and have like no body fat, you know, probably can do that a little bit more. Uh, like we said, if it's becoming more of a spare tire than it's, and, you, and there's nothing coming across your shoulder girdle or your quads, then maybe maybe you need to change gears a little. But uh, we, yeah, we had him eating buckets of oats and berries and stuff like that in the morning. And I mean, almost to the point that he could barely stand it. You know, I said, listen, now don't get nauseous, you know, but uh, we just filled him up again, nice, slow acting, low glycemic, you know, carb like oats. Uh, you could throw some other things in with it. And he, he packed on an enormous amount of weight and size and he won <laughs> the whole <Yeah>. event. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that's the kind of tale that, supports what john and i are telling you here but uh rob's a huge fan of pasta and i don't eat as much pasta anymore uh but pasta is so versatile you know it's almost like eggs for in our protein category but pasta is you could throw in vegetables of all kinds you can glug olive oil all over it cheese you know what i mean you can really kind of get crazy with the with the different kinds of pasta i think i know john do you eat a lot of pasta you know i i uh it, it's hard to say. I mean, sometimes I just get like a big craving for it. But typically, if I have a lot of pasta, I typically have some protein with it, whether it's like pulled pork or chicken or like a you know steak or something like that. But right. um, I, you know, I, I don't just say, "Well, I'm hungry for pasta," and I, that's all that I eat, like a gigantic like gorilla bowl size of pasta. Yeah. Um, because I mean, like you know, a normal like bowl of pasta. I mean, God, I don't. That'll run you, you know, two hundred grams of carbs right there. Right, yeah, you could rack up the carbs really quick. So that's that's why it's in the high carb category for sure. And you're right, protein of all kinds you can throw in there. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I remember once, just to give you an example. Here's a story, but uh, I was the nutritionist for a D1 um, football program, and these guys are always, "Hey, doc, how do you, you know, gain weight?" And I, you know, this and that, and. Um, the pregame meal is like four hours before the game traditionally. Oh. And honestly, I think that's so far out that it's not, it's just some other time. But beside the timing issue, um, these guys are eating like a plate full of pasta and meatballs or a plate full of pasta and chicken. Pasta and chicken was the big thing with this program. And I remember one of the, the guys came by and I don't remember what position he, he played, a, a big dude. And he goes, Oh my God, because I was on my like third plate of, you know, heaping probably a, you know, half a pound to a pound of pasta and chicken and I'm just shoveling it. And I'm like, yeah, tough guys. You know, you guys, <laughs> you gotta eat. I, I, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, the strength coach there, he was, um, a very large individual. I won't speculate on his state of naturalness, but he was gigantic <laughs> bodybuilder kind of guy. And he, um, he said, yeah, Lonnie, don't waste your time because, you know, they come, they have these desires to gain weight, but they don't want to put in what it takes. You know what I mean? It's like all that food in a way it's fun. It is fun, it but is in fun. a way it can be a real chore. And Fortress has talked about when you're not hungry, it's really hard to eat. You know, I hear dietitians all the time talk about how difficult it is to lose weight. And although there's some truth in what they're saying, they almost make it sound like it's so easy to gain weight. I'm like, not no healthy weight. It's not. You've never been in those shoes, you know. Yeah, people don't understand. I, mean, I think I think putting on muscle mass and just eating when you're not even hungry and just doing it over long periods of time, it's tough. So. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if you're not into carbs, maybe you, you don't like the gluten thing or whatever. Uh, Fortress used to eat buckets of like white rice and tuna. Now, that was back in the low fat era, I think. But, you know, Rob can pack it away. And so you could, it's the thing about that. And I know Phil's gone through periods of like rice or potatoes. Sometimes potatoes get a bad rap, I think, because, you know, brown potatoes or white flesh potatoes, they have a high higher glycemic index they're very insulinogenic you know but that's what you want when you're trying to put on muscle mass you know insulin is a very muscle preserving and, and retaining kind of hormone and it's under your dietary control you know so people take a bunch of herbs and do stuff to boost their testosterone levels and whatnot but insulin is no joke i mean bodybuilders dope insulin for a reason and it's under your your control right. You know, so if you can eat something like potatoes that really make your pancreas crank out the insulin, that's probably good. Um, anyway, and you know, I'm going to say one last thing, and this is not necessarily 
a super nutritious, uh, health conscious one naturally. But kids' cereals after you lift, I Yo, think lucky are lucky charms, Lottie, lucky charms. <laughs> I don't even have to say it. <laughs> Lucky Charms. That's I'm going to make my <laughs> my recommendation. Lucky freaking Charms because first of all, they're delicious. Yes. <laughs> you could knock back half a box, but you can eat it very quickly. You're consuming it with milk, and that's another very insulinogenic, you know, uh, nutrient or food. And there's a multivitamin, multimineral mixed in. I don't know if anybody ever thought about that because don't get me wrong. There's plenty of junk in there. Uh, red number five and yellow number this and that. You know, I mean, there's, those are not natural colors generally. Uh, they are trying to squeeze some oat powder into them lately. Uh, but I wouldn't take much stock in that whole whole grain claim thing. You know, um, that's one of the things the food industry does I don't care for is that whole grain thing. But um Anyway, the point being is, yeah, there's also a multivitamin, multimineral mixed in. Uh, so it's like cheap supplement in a way. I mean, like a cheap multi, you know. So between the milk and all those carbs flooding in, very fast acting generally. Uh, it, if you're in a post-workout situation or you feel very depleted, you know, I, yeah, I say head for the Lucky Charms. And I suppose yeah. there are other cereals. I shouldn't just focus on Lucky Charms. Believe it or not, yeah, this sound, might, might sound funny, but... I asked Kelly, my wife, to go get those cheap little super artificial colored marshmallows, and I would spike it with even more marshmallows. <laughs> uh, I would not do – like if you're middle-aged and you're not very active, avoid that like the plague. That is pure sin. But if you're, uh, if you're feeling depleted and you need some glycogen resynthesis – you know, something like a tricks or Lucky Charms. I mean, there's lots of kids' cereals. I mean, there's an entire aisle, you know, yeah, of debauchery. Just like, just plain old, like, Honey Nut Cheerios. That's true. That'd be healthy. Or, you know, what I was actually eating this morning because I haven't been eating enough lately. I'm like, I just need some carbs to run. I'm going to go to the gym. Uh, life, you know, yeah. it kind of falls in that same category as the, like, uh, Cheerios and stuff in that it's not heavily sugared. If you're like, you know, listen, I just can't go for all that fructose and all that heavy sugar yeah, Cheerios and life, um, that's not too bad. They're pretty heavy on the starch side and not just on the sugar, you know. Uh, well, what about, uh, well, let's talk about, for a second, let's talk about like fat. You know, we, we're still living in this fat phobia stuff. And it, it kind of, it sparks my interest to write an article on, you know, fat and, and why people are still just kind of obsessed with it, like in, both in a good way and a bad way. But, you know, when you want to put on the calories and put on the mass, you know, and, and you know, people go with carbs and proteins and they tend to stay away, you know, from fat. But I, but I, I, I try to tell people whatever it comes up, you know, nuts, olive oil. I mean, sometimes even today, like I'll just take a tablespoon of olive oil and I'll just drink it, you know, maybe, maybe two tablespoons. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> and, and antioxidants. I mean, you know, cheeses you know john uh, that's a, avocados oh that's a good one avocado yeah. yeah i was just gonna say with all the people cranking out money for some of these dietary fat supplements i would not buy the ones that are like omega 369 do yeah. not supplement omega-6 people i mean any vegetable oil practically is omega-6 safflower corn oil you know you can go down a list even soybean oil a lot of these oils are heavy on the omega-6 and people are taking tablespoons or even capsules of it and paying for it. Uh, or like omega-9, that's oleic acid. That's olive oil. That's yeah. the fatty acid in olive oil. And, you know, so I agree, John, 100%. Olive oil is one of those – I know some people don't like the term power foods. Like the sense about science guys, they don't like these these terms like power foods. But I, rather than making enormous amounts of claims, I'm just going to put out there that olive oil – is the rough equivalent from a nutraceutical perspective as a lot of these things you'd pay 50 bucks a bottle for. You know, um, the, yeah, the phenols, the antioxidants, and like I said, just that monounsaturated fat, that's the omega-9, that's oleic acid. And I think any healthcare person, even if they're down on saturated fat, uh, and, you know, times are a-changing. We're getting less and less uh, demonizing against the saturated fat these days, but... Anybody's going to say olive oil is a great approach. I mean, you get enough yeah. fat in your diet, your testosterone levels are maintained, you get all those antioxidants and that sort of stuff. I just don't see how you can go wrong. Uh, and you're right, though. I had another professor in my office just this past week, and she uh, she's like one of these low-fat kinds of persons. You know, She's a very good-natured person. She just can't get over 
the low fat is healthy thing, you know. Right. And I'm like, well, well you know, what do you do about olive oil? Explain olive oil to me then, because it's right. like such a champion of the fat movement, you know. Exactly. Well, avocados, or you know, even I mean, I, I love bacon. I, I love uh, like at Whole Foods, we get pork blueberry sausage, and it's it's just it's awesome. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah, and then uh, you know. For instead of olive oil, you know, I actually, and I know this has actually made more headway here in the last like few months. You know, coconut oil. You know, coconut coconut oil has lauric acid in it, and actually has antimicrobial and antibacterial properties. You know, in the body, and when you cook it, you know, it doesn't burn at a high temperature like olive oil does. That's another op- option for people. Coconut oil, it's great. I mean, it smells like coconut when you open it. But you know, it 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 absorbs obviously in, in the food. I mean, you're not going to like be eating coconut eggs, you know. Right. You know, and for listeners, if you're not familiar, with John's talking about the like lauric and myristic acid. These are fatty acids, right? They're part of the triglyceride molecule, and they're medium chain. Something like sixty percent, I think, of coconut fat is MCTs. Right. You know, well, people pay big bucks to go get synthetic medium chain triglycerides because they tend to be because they're shorter chained, they're medium length, uh, the molecule. Uh, they're digested differently. Uh, I actually wrote a chapter for the NSCA in their uh, sports nutrition book about this because a lot of uh, academic exercise physiologists and sports nutritionists they got sort of down on MCTs back in the eighties because they're like, oh, you're supposed to absorb this very fast. It's, you know, they're trying to add it to like sports drinks like Gatorade and get performance boosts, and because that didn't happen, they're like, oh, it's no good. You know, because you have to have like a twenty-five gram dose or something to try to get those performance effects but at that dose people just get diarrhea you know you can't absorb it but i think we really missed the boat and that's why i wrote part of that chapter about that because it it's it is what i would consider a clean burning fat yes Uh, gastric lipase it's not all just pancreatic lipase in other words you're digesting it a little bit differently and i do think based on the literature there's some interesting japanese papers that it does tend to become body fat less than regular long chain uh, fats. And, you know, while we're at it, too, uh, everyone, if you can find Enova oil uh, in the grocery store, it's not a triglyceride. It's a diglyceride. And it's been used. uh, It's supposed to become body fat less. And it's because of where the little fatty acids are exist on the fat molecule. But I'm not going to go into SN2 position and all this stuff, I'm, you know. But the point being is, you also digest and absorb that differently, and you tend to burn that better. Apparently, again, the Japanese are really into some of these strange specialty fats. So MCTs are all about the chain length, you know, how long the fatty acid is, and then stuff like Enova is more about rearranging those fatty acids or removing even one of them on the triglyceride you know, itself on the little glycerol backbone of the fat molecule. So they're rearranging these molecules and all fats are not created equally. And I think that's what's frustrating to John and I that people are just, oh, you know, low fat, that's the way to go. Well, yeah, no, it's it's no. really not. I mean, when you think about low fat products, I mean, they're, they're, these these companies, they, they substitute them with just a bunch of like sugar and just more crap, you know. Oh, right. My brother, like I've seen him buy a fat-free peanut butter I'm like, what? Oh, like, what do you think? It's completely defatted, like peanut flour with sugar added. I'm like, dude, just don't. Just say no. You know, that's like one of the biggest blunders I could think of in the food industry. You know, one of them was margarine. <laughs> you know, yeah, right. well, let's get rid of all that bad, you know, um, tributyrin, you know, with the fat in butter. You know, it's, oh, it's a saturated fat. It's so bad for you. So they're, oh, okay, let's come out with trans fats then. That's nice. You know, and then now, yeah, then they take the MUFA, the monounsaturated fat, out of peanut butter. Just don't do that. You know, <laughs> now you're just pumping it full of sugar. God, I mean, if you, if you want calories, easy. I mean, God, peanut butter, you can't go wrong with that. I mean, that's just a staple. Oh, yeah. And, you know, portable, too. There's not many proteins that don't spoil. You right. know, uh, now this time of year, geez, we li- literally leave stuff on my porch, you know, to keep it cold. Uh, but a lot of the year, yeah, peanut, peanut butter sandwiches – you could take a, a container of dry uh, whey casein blend or something like that. Just don't reconstitute it. You know, have half a dozen peanut butter sandwiches, and there's a nice snack for you. You know, wash down the, you know, just reconstitute it right before you drink it on the protein drink side of things, and then get all your calories from all that great peanut butter, you know, in the peanut butter sandwiches. You bet. Um, nice. Let's talk protein then. Yeah. Uh, I 
continue to be a fan of beef. I know from a nutrition perspective, like a the PDCAAS or different kinds of protein quality markers, uh, it's not as high as something like the milk proteins weigh in casein, but I love beef. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe yeah. that's blasphemy yeah, a, but to some people, but... Yeah, I uh, I, mean, I, I don't have it all the time, but, you know, I love grass-fed beef, and you can just, you can taste the difference just immensely, yeah. you know, versus grass-fed beef. And even, I mean, I buy, you know what, I buy uh, organic grass-fed raw milk from a, a, a local farm, and it is the best milk I've ever had in my life. I usually buy two or three gallons at one time. I mean, I could drink a gallon in, in a half a day easy. I mean, gosh, a, a half a gallon of raw organic milk, I mean, that has like 1,300 calories in it. Yeah. So, there are a whole – what's the um, what's the program out there? Uh, it's got an acronym. It's, it's all about just drinking milk. It's based around milk. And I think the reason that it has some truth to it it just you know just drinking like a, I don't know what it is like how many gallons of milk a day but the point is it's um you know casein is the majority of that protein it's got a good protein source and it's very insulinogenic so no wonder you know people push that like they do uh, so when it comes to drinking calories and protein and, and nutrients you know there's a lot of potassium in milk and I don't know I think it's great to wash stuff down and you're right man the grass fed people don't realize how weird. The cattle industry, I think, is like feeding them corn and then pumping them full of antibiotics because that's not naturally what they eat. That's very weird. You know, like you would never see a cow up on its hindquarters nibbling a stalk of corn, you know, in a field like in nature. That's bizarre. Uh, so, yeah, the grass fed thing, uh, is it sustainable? I don't know how sustainable uh, over the long haul the beef is in general, but while it's here, and while we have access, I, I couldn't agree more, man. Yeah, grass-fed man, beef. Yeah, and they have grass-fed butter, too. I mean, you can get that at Costco. You can get that, get that at Trader Joe's. Yep. I love that stuff. And you can taste the difference just tremendously. And, you know, talking about protein, I mean, God, you know, Lana, you and I have eggs all the time. I have eggs literally every single morning for breakfast. And, you know, those that are trying to pack on calories, I mean, got eggs, biscuits, and gravy, sausage, you know, a quiche. You know, I love quiche. I do too. I do too. That people who say that's not for real men, nope, you're wrong. It is because it's loaded. I mean, again, with the versatility, you could throw some broccoli in there. You know, but it's got so many calories. It's basically a mix of eggs and cheese, and you put it on a pie crust, which is loaded with calories itself. Yeah, you can't go wrong. Uh, right. I, and I, you're right. Eggs. I mentioned this with pasta, but eggs are so versatile too. You can put. You can have a chicken omelet in the morning. You could throw cheese and broccoli in it. You could almost anything. I mean, I'd love to see some omelet recipes. I love omelets. You know, from uh, some of our listeners. And you know what, too? I mean, you're talking about like biscuits and gravy, and that's a really way to crank up the calories or hash, corned beef hash. Yes. Now, that's, that's up there with pecan pie for me as one of the most um, calorific. You know, foods that you can think of. Now, the thing with hash is that it's also it's loaded with sodium and it's mostly fat and, you know, and all this sort of thing. So I admit when I eat like, you know, um, eggs and hash in the morning and I don't do it a lot, but I actually get the low fit, lower fat because it's still about a one to one ratio of protein and fat on the label. You know, even the lower fat stuff, because normally corned beef hash is so fatty. But there's also the protein in there. And as a rule of thumb, and unless I was going to just crash through barriers and try to gain mass at all costs, I like about a one-to-one ratio uh, or better of my protein to fat, you know, in my protein foods. If there's like, if I eat a food that's got like 20 grams of fat and three protein, that bothers me, I admit, you know, especially because a lot of foods like that are the convenience foods and it's junk fat. But yeah, for the protein foods, when I go look at beef or like different cheeses or something like that, corned beef hash, I like to get a close to one to one ratio of the protein and fat. If it's got yeah. twenty fat yeah. but also twenty protein, I'm going to be a lot more forgiving there. You know? Yeah, I think uh, you know a good protein and fat source. I mean, salmon. I mean, I like salmon a lot. I mean, I don't. I may have it maybe once a week, once every couple of weeks, but salmon's a really good option too. Yeah, you know what? If you're going to do that in a you- non if you're not leaning out, if you're going to do right. that in a non-contest phase, I would not shy away from the butter. You know, you could probably make that just delicious with butter and squirt some lemon on there. And you could do all kinds of stuff with salmon, you know, okay. sauces, you mm-hmm. know. 
So that's a lot of s- stories about big eats, I guess. Um, whether it's just straight up cacao or or it's carbs or it's uh, fats or proteins. There's so many things, and this is just a tiny tip of the iceberg because I admit I fall into a rut a little bit with the habit sort of thing. You know, like like John, like I eat eggs probably every other morning or every almost every morning. I eat a lot of eggs. Uh, but it'd be nice to see what other people are eating, especially from around the world. You know, we have listeners from all over the place in South Africa and Australia and, you know, England, Canada, everywhere. I'd love to see what people are eating. Uh, sometimes we get p- great pictures on our Facebook uh, listeners page, you know, because there's so many. Like you said, avocado. I've been doing more of that lately. And there are some people who that's almost a staple of their weight gain diet because it's such a healthy way to get your monounsaturated fat, you know? So, I mean, gosh, even just like just PBJs, peanut butter and jelly. I mean, right. Well, you know what? I'm always, it's partly a nutrition quality issue. I mean, if you just wanted calories, I guess you could guzzle Coke, you know, uh, or Pepsi, but we're talking about things that are also very nutrient rich. The, The mixed nuts that John mentioned eating hands full, it's not just portable. The, the phytochemicals in there do all kinds of fantastic things to hormones and enzymes in the body. You know, they're, um, they're very beneficial or like berries, uh, loaded with all kinds of plant chemicals. Again, P-H-Y-T-O, phytochemicals or meats have zoochemicals, you know, some of the better quality meats. Now there's nothing wrong with going to knock back a quarter pounder when you need one or two or three, um, but as a staple kind of thing, I think we're just trying to point you to things. Even that pecan pie, it's got pecans in it. You know, I mean, anytime you can put something like fruits or nuts in these foods, you can get high calorie foods that are also incredibly nutrient rich. And I almost have to reverse the thinking of some people when I talk to them about, oh, you know, nutrient density is the way to go. Well, broccoli's nutrient dense because there's lots of nutrients per kcal. But nutrient dense is not the same thing as nutrient rich, like meats and cheeses and a lot of these dried fruits. These they they don't have high nutrient density, but they have off the chart nutrient gross nutrient content. It's just per calorie. It seems lower. You know what I mean? So there's lots of ways to look at uh, dietary quality. And I think some of the suggestions here at least point you in the right direction. You know. All right, brother, Uh, we are just about out of time. Awesome. So, happy holidays, everybody. Again, these some of these foods are almost seasonal in nature. Actually, now I'm thinking about getting some meat pies. <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway. All right. Well, we'll catch up with everybody next week. All right. Thanks, everyone. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.